quick reminder, the hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. This is Matt Walters here with David Lee and today we have a guest on the show and are going to talk about artificial intelligence and portfolio management. So we're excited about that. But uh, before we introduce our guest, David, how's it going today? I'm doing great, Matt, and um, really excited to have Wayne here with us today and to talk about artificial intelligence. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about this podcast for a few weeks. I think this is our fifth podcast in the new format. Um, and I, ever since we started talking about the new format and kind of how we were going to how we were going to do that, we've been excited about having Wayne on um, and, and talking about his strategies and Alpha DNA and what they do and how, you know, our partnership with them here at Mach 1. So, um, again, our guest on the show today is Wayne Ferbert. Wayne is the founder of Alpha DNA Investment Management and currently serves as managing director. Before Alpha DNA, Wayne spent about 10 years in the online brokerage segment with TD Ameritrade, where he managed business development. He then later went on to co-found Zega Financial before his latest venture in launching Alpha DNA. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me at the I actually, I got to admit, I didn't know the blog was called the Mach 1 Market Moment. I like it. Like, the alliteration is great. I like that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. We maybe should have uh, told you about that on the front end of what show you were coming on. So, like I said, we've been really excited about this. You know, we we obviously, um, you know, full disclosure, we we work with Wayne. We use Wayne's strategies. Our clients use Wayne's strategies. And so, we're in constant communication with Wayne on a, on a daily and weekly basis. And we've been excited about this. But... Um, so a lot of people listening to the podcast, Wayne, maybe some clients maybe have, have seen you or, you know, seen a presentation from you before, but some, this may be the first time they're hearing of, of, you know, Wayne Ferber and Alpha DNA. So give us, give us a little bit more information on your background, um, where you, you know, came from your, your experience and then what led to the launch of Alpha DNA. Yeah. So Alpha DNA was actually founded as a subsidiary of Zega, right? So it started as a subsidiary of Zega. We spun it out in 2017 to become its own company. It had started to show uh, uh, enough progress in terms of its uh, uh, underlying uh, capabilities to really deserve to be uh, its own company. So we spun it out, and and I've been uh, running it full time uh, ever since. But the the way it got started is while Jay and I were at Zega, Jay is the the co-founder of Zega uh, with me and runs it today. Is we were introduced to these two data scientists, and uh, these guys had an idea. Right. They were introduced to us by some executives that we used to work with at TD Ameritrade. And the scientists had this idea. And the idea was, if you can track the digital footprint of a publicly traded company, you'll gain insight into who's winning and who's losing within their industry or within their sector. And when you juxtapose that insight get about who's winning and who's losing against what Wall Street thinks about who's winning and who's losing, you'll find obvious trading candidates, stocks to buy and even stocks that you can short. And when I heard that, I said, that's brilliant, right? Because the you know, digital footprint in this case is all of the, it's the web traffic, it's the consumer metric data of the actual interaction between customers and clients of all these digital properties. Having run product development at TD Ameritrade for a decade, I was one of the largest internal consumers of exactly that kind of data. 
How do our customers come to our website? How do they use us while they're there? What do they do while they're there, right? What do they search for? What is the most common path that leads to a trade or leads to an investment, right? Uh, having been the, the largest internal consumer of that kind of data, it, it hit me. I said, oh my gosh, that is so true. If, you know, at Ameritrade, we could go look at our logs and see and make predictions about what clients were going to continue to increase the, uh, their interaction with us and were more likely to be uh, uh, attractive uh, uh, clients for us at Ameritrade based on that interaction. Definitely interaction with websites was going to be a really good proxy. And to be able to analyze all that data, you were going to need artificial intelligence. And so when we left that room that day, this was 2010, or it might have been 2011, 2011. And when we left the room that day, we weren't sure where we were going to do anything, but I pulled Jay aside and I just said, Jay, it, it, like at the very least, we should do something with these two guys because they are the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life, right? Our two data scientists are so smart. I said, we'd be crazy not to work with them, right? And so that's what really, that's what kicked off uh, uh, Alpha DNA uh, and, and had us, you know, work with them on nights and weekends because they had a full-time job at a Fortune 500 company, these data scientists, right? They wanted to leave and pursue this full-time. Uh, and so eventually they were able to actually do that in 2014 when we started uh, uh, investing some of the money. So uh, it was a it was a fun start. It was sort of a very entrepreneurial startup inside of uh, inside of Zega. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So taking a quick step back, because you, you you got into some terminology there that you know people might be not be familiar with. And we use you, we use the terminology machine learning, artificial intelligence quite a bit when we're referring to the alpha DNA strategies. Give us a quick, just kind of um, Investopedia-like definition of alpha D or artificial intelligence and machine learning. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is you know, our, it is the con, it is the ability, right, to use computers and programming, right, to find advanced uh, uh, decisions or advanced outputs that the naked eye or simple regression analysis couldn't do on its own, right? So it's the ability to analyze a lot of data using computing power, right? Uh, to be able to find trends that traditional analytic approaches would never see, right? And that's why, it that's why it imputes learning. That's why it implies the learning part, right? Or the intelligence part. It's because, you know, you might be handed a, a, a whole set of data and it might be tens of thousands of data points and you might start to sort it make a pivot table, do some regression analysis, do some, you know, compute some standard deviations, and you might come to some conclusions about that data. But when handed to the kind of techniques that scientists have built and much more advanced comparisons of the data to each other, and especially the comparisons of the data to itself over time, uh, there are advanced techniques that find insights and trends that you never would have necessarily predicted, right? Uh, through, through the more traditional analysis. And that's what machine learning does. Think of it as there is so much powerful compute, there's so much computing power available to us today that, that when you can bring it to bear on the world's problems, it is gonna provide insights that, that human nature might not have necessarily seen or identified, right? And don't get me wrong, it will often also produce the same results that the human would have produced, right? Uh, but what you're looking for is when can you build that objective function that you can train something to find and then repeatedly produce a, 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 an answer around that objective function. You know, the objective function that we've trained our computers for is uh, the revenue that a company is producing. It's, it's the underlying demand 
uh, for the company's product. That's like the objective function we've trained. And so think of it, the reason, but by the way, just, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence are really the two words for the same thing. But 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 the, the one of the reasons why we like to use machine learning is learning occurs over time with more and more data. And that's really important to how we how we do, do our work, because, you know, we're we're taking these snapshots of the digital footprint of these companies all the way back to 2010. And we're comparing itself to itself to over to, to itself over time. Uh, that, that comparison, right? That the, the the algorithms get smarter with time and with more data, right? And so that's why the, that's why the learning is such a key word in that uh, in that statement. And the objective function we've told it to get smarter around is how much underlying demand is there for the company's product. In other words, how much revenue are they producing, and how and what does their forward revenue look like based on changes in their digital footprint? Gotcha. So you talk about a lot of data. Um, yeah. Define that. How, like how many data points might you have on one company that you're tracking or collecting? Yeah, I mean, we track uh, over uh, 5,000 different brands, right? Uh, and the average brand has uh, over 250 data points that we track, right? And then those data points are converted into over 50 different vectors of analysis, 50 different, you know, analytic computations. Some of them are actually regression analytics, right? Some of them are, 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 are simple ratio analysis or market share computations, but then some of them are very advanced machine learning calculations. And then once all those vectors are created, then a whole machine, la machine, learning, uh, machine learning layer comes in over top and basically says, you know, which of those vectors matters for each of these companies, right? It builds a unique model for each company and says which which vector matters for each company. Every weekend, we actually buy processing time on in the cloud. Uh, so when you do this sort of machine learning work, you actually need to buy pretty powerful computer uh, processing power. And so we it's all it's all in the cloud for us. And so we we buy it in the cloud. And every weekend, we actually rerun all the way back to inception for every company the model based on the data that came in that week. So the new data for that company comes in that week. It's compared to all the data going back all the way to 2010, and it recalculates and recalibrates the machine learning model. Uh, and so, you know, that, that sort of is the level of rigor that's involved here. It's a lot of data, right? And it's a lot of historical data. And, you know, that processing power, like I said, it, it, you need a lot of it. And, uh, and, it's, and it's expensive. It's actually why we buy it on the weekends, right? You can imagine, it's cheaper on the weekends because because lots of companies are using that processing power during the week when most you know uh, offices are open. We use it on the week. We tend to buy it on the weekend and, and sort of recalibrate our portfolios every weekend. So Wayne, I've got a question for you that that often comes up whenever I'm talking to clients and potential clients about this strategy, which is, well, if this strategy is so great, why aren't uh, Wall Street analysts already using it? And how is it that we can possibly gain it an advantage over them if they if they theoretically have access to the same data that we're using. Yeah, so you should know that uh, some, of the, some of the largest hedge funds in the world absolutely purchase the same sort of data uh, that we buy, right? So uh, I'll give you uh, examples are uh, Renaissance Technologies, right? One of the largest uh, hedge funds in the country. Bridgewater, the largest hedge fund in the country, buys a lot of this data, uh, 0.72. They all have hundreds of data scientists on staff who do this, right? So, so the, my first answer to that question would be, if you're wondering whether or not this data is effective at creating alpha, the largest hedge funds in the world have invested tens of millions of dollars in it. So I think that tells you something about whether or not there's still an advantage to be had getting from this data. Uh, 
Do Wall Street analysts then that cover these stocks actually buy some of this data? They do buy some of this data, right? It is it is uh, uh, also available to them, but they're not. But a couple of things: they're probably not buying all of the same data we're buying. They're probably not buying as much of it, and more importantly. We've been buying it all the way back on a live contemporaneous basis since 2010, right? And so our database is one of the most robust and cleanest databases out there of this kind of data. And so it certainly gives us an advantage. I will also tell you too, that we've trained our objective function to not only try to for demand, but also for the likelihood that the analysts see the same demand we see. Because if they see the same demand, they will likely respond and upgrade the stock and we want to try to be ahead of that when we can be, right? So we've actually also trained, sometimes in the writings that we, the blog that we post, we talk about our different algorithms, our surprise algorithm and our revisions algorithm. The revisions algorithm is the one that's actually, it's, it's actually trained on analyst likelihood to revise. That's why we call it revisions. It's analyst revisions, right? When are analysts most likely to revise their numbers upward on a company? And one of the things it looks at is it looks at when there are changes in the certain data, do analysts tend to follow that? And tend to respond to it, and so that's that's an important sort of trailing feature of, of one of our objective functions as well. I would tell you in the data collection game, uh, if you sort of the ability this data to provide alpha, if this was a nine inning baseball game, we're in like the second inning, maybe the third inning, right? It's still really early uh, in in this data, and to prove it, in 2014 when we started investing with this data, we averaged around 100 data points per brand. And remember, I just told you a few minutes ago. We now average over 250 data points per brand. It's only increased, right? The amount of data that's available to be measured. Yeah, yeah. So this is so for someone listening, this is all very intriguing, right? But we're we're talking about money, investing, finance. People people come to Mach One to figure out how they can you know grow their grow their assets, build their portfolio. So what does all of this mean from an investing standpoint? How what kind of a difference has using AI and machine learning made from an investing returns, you know, performance standpoint. Right. So if we're truly seeing the demand that the uh, rest of the market hasn't quite caught up to, then those are obviously buying opportunities. And that's what we do with, with Mach 1, right, is we build long portfolios of the stocks that, that our algorithms say the company's growing by maybe an example would be 8%, and the Wall Street analyst current estimate is around, say, 3 or 4%. And so there's a big gap between what the digital footprint implies for the growth and what Wall Street thinks they're growing at. And if we're right, because the data that we see is correlated in the past to a, an increase in the company's revenue, then that company will eventually appreciate in price once the world figures out, once the market figures out, they are growing at 8% and not the 4% the Wall Street analysts think they are, because the implied price of the stock is that it's growing at 4%. And so in just in your clients' portfolios this year, for example, right? You know, we put them into Zoom video in January, right? We got them into Domino's Pizza, uh, Pizza Hut uh, uh, in, during the uh, uh, the market. Or sorry, not Pizza Hut, uh, uh, Papa John's, right? During the uh, during the sell-off, right? When when people were and and Wingstop, right? We bought a ton of cloud stocks. You might remember we were very heavily overweight in January, February, March, and April cloud stocks. And uh, cloud stocks are the technology stocks that help sort of power the online universe that we all shop through. Well, we all know. That universe got supercharged during the COVID uh, 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 down uh, downdrafts, right? And that, uh, you know, our signals saw that and positioned our portfolio to take advantage of. And of course, that area, you know, the technology and the cloud area, did great uh, during that window compared to the market. Yeah, we've 
obviously significantly outperformed the market um, this year. Um, we can talk a little bit about that if you want to. But also, one of the things I wanted to have you touch on, Wayne, is there are obviously some things that uh, the type of data and the type of uh, machine learning algorithms cannot predict, right? Like uh, coronavirus coming out of China. So how does how does our strategy, how does your strategy deal with that? Yeah, so we, like I said, the objective function that we're looking at that we think is most important or, or can be most predictive of a company's future stock price uh, is the revenue, right? The underlying demand for the company. And of course, that means that you've got to have a correlation between your revenue uh, and your past digital footprint. So like, let's take an example. There's a company that everyone loves today, right? It's called Moderna, right? And everyone loves Moderna because they're right now viewed as the leading company as a potential vaccine uh, for COVID, right? Well, Moderna doesn't have any revenue, right? So, I mean, Moderna is a company in its early, early stages. And so when I look at their footprint and I'm trying to find correlations to, to revenue or demand for them, I can't find any because they don't have any revenue. Right. And so there are, that's just an example of something that, you know, there you were not, you know, the event based things that happen in the marketplace, like digital data is never going to forecast that Disney CEO is going to resign. Right. Or, you know, that's just not the kind of thing you see in the underlying data. And so there are always going to be events that shake a, 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 a company's stock and move its price. But that's not going to necessarily uh, be uh, foretold by the underlying interaction between the customers and the digital brands that they operate. Yeah. And, and kind of along that same note, uh, I, I think part of what I was getting at there in my question is what about like a broad market sell-off? How do we, how do we use hedging? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm getting at. How do we, how do we protect ourselves against uh, a broader market sell-off where even the, the great companies that the AI algorithm is finding, those are going to get hurt in a broad market sell-off. Yeah, and so you know we have four strategies we work uh, on with you guys. Uh, oh, sorry, we have more than four, but we have uh, uh, six, right? And three of them are long only, and three of them are long short. And the majority of your client money is in your long short strategies. And the long short ones, what we do on the short side is, you know, we buy a protective put on the market, uh, and then we try to make sure that the underlying stock portfolio that we go long is actually correlates well to that uh, to that put that we've bought. And so that's been a big part of. Um, the outperformance this year, it's important to note that the underlying portfolios have actually also outperformed the index that we bought the puts on, right? Uh, so not only is it correlated to it, but it's also outperformed it. That's a really key part of our long short strategies is that we create enough alpha from the stock selection to pay for the cost of the put. And, and, and to me, that's one of the really differentiating factors uh, in our strategy, right, is the ability for uh, us to fund the, the hedge, right? To fund the downside protection that makes uh, such a big difference. And, and we've been able to do it uh, in our three long short strategies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you keep, you keep referring to alpha. Um, obviously, we're, David and I are familiar with that. But explain what is alpha and then how, how did you come up with the name alpha DNA? And is that, are those two things directly correlated? Yeah, so alpha is the traditional market uh, uh, title for the amount of return your portfolio creates in in excess of its benchmark, right? So if you were like a if you were a small cap manager, right, who only bought small cap uh, stocks, like your benchmark would be the Russell 2000, and so your alpha would be however much your portfolio outperformed the Russell 2000. Then you'd have a positive built in uh, uh, alpha. 
If you underperform the Russell 2000, you'd have a negative alpha, right? And so, or if you were buying large cap stocks, your benchmark might be the S&P 500, so all large caps. And so your alpha would be the amount that your portfolio's returns after, after fees exceeds the returns of the S&P 500. And so, you know, we, we know based on our, you know, past history of creating these signals that our underlying long portfolios, they beat their benchmarks, right? They beat the universe of stocks that we, that we pick them from, right? So when we pick stocks from the Russell 2000, those stocks on aggregate are going to beat the Russell 2000. We've been consistent at that in every long portfolio we've created. We haven't always made the right tactical decisions, right, within the portfolio. We're not going to be perfect there. We've been very good the last year plus, right? But, but um, mostly in the long short of just having the puts work, right? But without a doubt, the underlying stock portfolios create alpha. So that's what leads us to the name Alpha DNA. And because we're using the digital footprints to, to really find out what is the underlying sort of what we think the DNA drives the DNA revenue. of alpha, the origin of alpha. That's right. That's a good way to think of it. So when you're so we're talking about small caps, large caps, I think, you know, several of the strategies that you run um, for us that we use, you know, are investing in all kinds of companies from a digital footprint standpoint. This is just out of my own curiosity. What's the market capitalization of a company? What does it have to be before you're able to start really capturing some of that data? Yeah, so so we actually uh it really depends on the. There are there are some very small cap companies that actually have pretty interesting digital footprints, and then there are even a few mid cap companies that 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 lack much digital footprint at all. It really depends on sort of how consumer facing they might be. In some cases, it might it, you know, or just sort of how much digital interaction is natural for that company's product. And so, um, but for us, typically the cutoff is going to be around two hundred fifty or three hundred million. What I will tell you is. For the companies that have the smallest market caps, you're going to likely have the most opportunity to surprise the market because they're the least followed, right? By by analysts and through the data, right? Meanwhile, the largest cap companies, they have the most data about them, but they are the most followed, right? So the ability to find alpha there is typically going to be more constrained. Our sweet spot tends to be the mid cap. We definitely create the most alpha historically in the mid cap space. However, that said, I just want you to know, we do create alpha in small cap and we do create alpha in large cap. We just tend to create the most in that mid cap space. And that's because they're kind of like the most optimal mix of, of having enough digital data to be relevant, but not having enough analyst coverage to actually bring it all to the surface. Right, yeah, that makes perfect sense. David, anything else? Yeah, I just want to close by saying, first of all, we appreciate the relationship we've got with Wayne. We've been working together for something like seven or eight years now, I think. And, um, and as a result, we, you kind of hit on it earlier, Matt, we talked to Wayne probably on average once or twice a week at least. And, um, and we're the only advisor in the Northwest Arkansas area that has access to this unique strategy from Alpha DNA. Yeah, you are the only, the only one in Arkansas I work with at all. And I really enjoy my trips out to Northwest Arkansas to see you guys. It's a beautiful area and your clients are, have been great to me and uh, we like working with you guys. Yeah, same here. We appreciate you making those trips up. Uh, Wayne Wayne came up. He was here at the uh, at the event with Governor Huckabee when we had that earlier this year. So, Wayne, we really appreciate your support through the years and appreciate and value our relationship. Thanks for everything you do to um, bring a lot of value to Mach One and, and especially to our clients. And we'll definitely be back in touch. Like we said, we'll have you back on here in the next few weeks. So. To wrap up, as always, we want to throw in our thought for the day. This one's from Robert Kiyosaki. It's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep. 
how hard it works for you, and how many generations you keep it for. And don't forget to submit any questions that you have on our website under the podcast section, or you can email podcast at mock-onefinancial.com. That is it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mach-1financial.com disclosures.